somebody's visiting this morning, they're going, can they do that in church? Yeah, well, we did. <laughs> Crazy little thing called love. You know, love's a, a strange thing. And I believe love will make you do crazy things. You know, as a kid, uh, I loved going to uh, Kmart. For those younger, that was a store, like a department store. And uh, my brother and I, we'd, uh, we'd be in Kmart. And uh, my dad worked there for a few months. Uh, he'd just gotten out of the Navy and the Marines, and he was waiting for a postal job uh, that was opening up for him. And my grandma worked there for several years. And so... Sometimes uh, we would get dropped off at the store after school or after practice, and we would have an hour, sometimes two hours, until somebody would get off work before we could go home. And so my brother and I kind of occupied our time in the store, and basically we snooped around the, the stores, what we did. But after a few times of doing that, it got really boring. I mean, really boring. So we needed a little more excitement in our life. Uh, we wanted to make the time go a little bit quicker. And what we figured out was that Kmart was full of comedy. I mean, lots of comedy. And to top it off, they would announce where the comedy was taking place. Attention, Kmart shoppers. Attention, Kmart shoppers. We have a blue light special in aisle 12, women's purses, 50% off for the next five minutes. And everybody would race there. And we loved to go and we'd just race and watch all the frenzy that was taking place. And people would grab as much stuff as they could hold because they weren't sure whether or not they wanted what they had. But they got it in their hands just in case. And, and then sometimes we would get into the mix with them. And we would see how many things we could get. And we kind of treated it like an Olympic challenge. And so we would just have our arms just full. And then, believe it or not, I would ham it up sometimes. And so I would be like, you know, I'd have the purse. And I'd go, Flint, do you think it brings out the blue in my eyes? And, you know, it's like, uh, doesn't this look good with my outfit? And what I loved was to see people's reactions to, to, uh, to us uh, in those situations. But every once in a while, they would actually have a blue light special that I was interested in, you know, something that I really wanted. And I remember one time in particular, the blue light special was Brute Cologne. And it was two for a dollar, and I bought a case of it, all right? That's 24. Yeah, wow. <laughs> they, I wore Brute Cologne for years, and something should have triggered two for a dollar, what that meant, but uh, anyway, people love finding bargains. You know, uh, those that know me very well know one of my weaknesses, I love shirts, and I love when Dillard's, they have their uh, clothing clearance, and they'll have 65% off, an extra 50% off. And so I'll go in and I'll find a shirt for like eight or ten bucks, like like this one. This is one of them. And uh, I'll bring it home. I'll show it to Cindy, kind of like I've landed a prize. And I'll be like, honey, you know, I, I got this shirt for ten dollars. Can you believe it? And she goes, no, I can't believe you bought it, you know. And, and uh, I'm, you know, it's, uh, she, she'll always tell me, she goes, you know, there's a reason it's still available on the rack. And uh I'm like, but, but don't you like it? And she'd be like, sure, love it, Peter Brady. It looks great, you know. But, 
I like getting a good deal. I believe people like getting a good deal. You know, that's why we go on shopping trips to outlet malls or we love discount stores like uh, Burlington or Marshall, uh, wholesale clubs like Sam's and Costco. People love deals. That's just a given. Well, we're in this series, If. And we've been asking, you know, what if you started living like you're dying? What if you embraced every day as a God-given opportunity and you embraced it with passion? And today what I want to focus on is what if we live sacrificially? I mean, what if? What if? The if is full of possibilities in life. If can change the way that you see things, the way that you view things in life. And today what I want to do is look at a moment in David's life, you know, King David, Old Testament, when a crazy little thing called love gripped his heart and caused him to consider what if, what if in his life. You know, David, he's this brilliant musician. He's a poet. He's a leader. He really was a renaissance man. And scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. And David had a lot of what-if moments. And you might remember earlier in this series, we talked about one of his what-if moments. And uh, when everybody else was cowering and afraid, they were afraid of fighting that giant named Goliath. And David looked at the situation. This is a young kid. And he goes, well, what if I fight him? What if with God's help, I take him down? I mean, it's a what if. And David sees that opportunity. He steps up. He fights Goliath, defeats him. Uh, We still talk about it today. You know, that victory catapulted David into the limelight and into leadership. And ultimately, we know David became king. Well, this what if moment It takes place late in David's reign. David had ruled Israel for about 40 years at this point. He's in the process of kind of transferring power to his son Solomon. It's one of David's final acts as a king. And he stands before the whole nation of Israel And he shares a vision of what God had given him to build the temple, to to worship God. Scripture says this, 1 Chronicles 29.1, it says, Then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, who God has chosen to be the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. And the work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not just another building. It is for the Lord God himself. David has a realization that this isn't another strip mall that's going to be built or another subdivision, that it's going to be the house of God. And David also realizes that his response to that would be a reflection of his love for God, which meant it needed excellence to it. You know, the Apostle Paul, he writes it this way. He says, but since... You're excellent in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and the love we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. You know, that uh, idea of excel there, 
it carries the idea of better than the rest. You know, why? Because God deserves our best. And so David, he recognizes this. He recognizes what Paul would echo later. You know, he sees where God's leading him. And because of his crazy love for God, David gives. And what I want to suggest is love and giving of ourselves are connected. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son. Love always leads to giving. Always. Love always sees possibilities in life. Love will cause people to sacrifice and take risks in life. Now, this church, I look back on our history, and it's a history of taking risks and being obedient and taking steps of faith because we have a crazy love for God around here. You know, I have watched the people of this church willingly sacrifice and willingly give and do whatever's needed whether it be with resources or our talents or our labors, to bring glory to God. David, David, he's, he's standing before the people, he, he's speaking, and he says, besides in my devotion to the temple and my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I provided for the holy temple. This gets really personal for David. David starts giving his personal treasures. And if you read the, the whole chapter, it kind of details what all he was doing. Historians have estimated that David gave about $60 million to build that temple. Think about that. That's 4,000 years ago. And I wonder, as David's talking, I put myself in Solomon's shoes. And I think he had a cold sweat in that moment. Yeah. First it was, yay, I get to build the temple. This is cool. And then dad goes a little further and talks about what he's going to do. And he's thinking, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's my inheritance. I I had investment plans. I was going to get a Ferrari and I was going to do this and this. And Solomon, you need to know, didn't do that. But that's what I would have been thinking in that moment probably. You know, Solomon, he celebrated the, the building of the temple. And I thought, well, why? Well, I think Solomon had watched David, his father, model sacrificial giving his entire life. I didn't say sacrificial, but sacrificial. You know, parent, parents ask me often, and I hear, I hear this and ever since I started ministry, I've heard this. People go hey, what can I do so my kids don't grow up spoiled? Or, you know, I don't want my kids to grow up self-centered. You know, how can I help them? And I have kind of the same answer every time. And I'll just say to them, live generously. You know, model generosity for them. Because when your kids see you as a person who's generous, whether it be with your family or your friends or the poor, or the church, or God, whatever, when they see that, and they see that you willingly step up, it marks them. It does. 
it gives them something that I believe money cannot buy. See, this has everything to do with a little thing. Well, really, it's a big thing called love. You know, Jesus kind of zeroes in on this topic. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your what? Will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart is. Love will determine where you focus, what you focus on. Love will define what is important to you, where you'll spend your time and your talent and your treasures. And we talked about that last week. See, love, I believe, ultimately leads you to sacrifice in life. Just a question, where are you storing up? Where are you storing up your treasures? Heaven? Earth? Not sure? See, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. David, David has a heart for God. And when David gave to to build the temple, this house of worship, David understood something, I think, that there's nothing greater. There's nothing that has greater influence or greater longevity or eternal impact than God's house. You know, Jesus one day, he's talking to Peter, he was a disciple, and he said this, he says, Now I say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the power of hell will not conquer it. See, there's nothing greater than God's house, the church. And when it it comes to giving, and I know how this goes, because people usually base giving on one of a couple things. Either we give based on reasoning or on revelation. And, And reasoning kind of goes like this what can I afford what what's the least I could do and still be okay you know feel okay how can I play it safe here and the reason usually lacks love or at least a quality of it doesn't take much faith and has nothing to do with sacrifice. Others will give based on revelation, which really is the, the basis of biblical giving. God, I love you. And I'm all yours. And God, I understand that my talents, my opportunities, my treasures, everything that I have that's good. They're gifts from you. And God, I want to be used by you however you see fit. And friends, when you, when you start thinking about this whole aspect of your life as a privilege, all right, privilege, 
opportunity, it changes how you see it. What, what you will see happen in your life is you will shift from, well, what's the least I could do and be okay, to what's the most I can do, Lord. When it's based on love, it's an act of worship, which Paul talks about that a lot. Paul, Paul's writing about some amazing Christians in Macedonia. And he writes this, he says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And I kind of stagger at that point. I'm like, why would anybody do that? Why? Love causes them to sacrifice. And sacrifice is a strange thing. And get this, this, is, this kind of clarifies for me. Sacrifice is not based on what you give, all right? In other words, the amount does not determine something's a sacrifice where you go, wow, that's a lot, that, that's a sacrifice. No, that's not how it works. A sacrifice can be seen when you look at what's left over. David, David lived his life before God. David pursued God And David had an all-in mentality. And he allowed God to consume his thoughts and his decisions. And you see it throughout his entire life. You know, there was a time during David's reign that there was a destructive plague that hit Israel. And he had prayed to God and the nation had prayed to God. and, And God was moved. And in a miraculous way, Jerusalem was saved. And David, as he was praying one day, the Holy Spirit starts speaking to him and instructed him to go and build an altar and told him a very specific place to go build the altar. And so David obeys. And he arrives at the location. It's a threshing floor. It was owned by Arona. uh, And Arona sees King David on his farm. And he bows down to David, and he's like, why is my king here? I mean, it was probably a fearful thing, almost. And David said, so I can build an altar to my God. And so Arona is like, you can have the land. You can have the threshing floor. You know, you can go get wood out of my forest. You can have an ox to sacrifice. Anything you want, king, it's yours. And David says, no, I will pay you for it. I will not offer the Lord my God sacrifices that have cost me nothing. And at first, I think this doesn't make any sense. No financial sense anyway. Arona is offering to give David everything he needs for the offering and for the sacrifice. And so the analytic in me goes, well, does it really matter who paid for this? It did to David. Because David understood it had everything to do with his love and that it was not a sacrifice if it cost him nothing. 
And I have figured out when I, when I give, when I give my possessions, I'm given a piece of myself. You know, when I, when I sacrifice, it changes my heart. And it does another little thing. It kind of frees me from my grip on things. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mine. And it refocuses me on God. I'm not given something that costs me nothing. David, David spent his life looking for opportunities and seizing those opportunities. He looked for opportunities to give of himself. To, I think a piece of it, when he, when he was given of his possessions, he was kind of countering the, the world that was obsessed, even in his day, with that desire to acquire. I mean, we live in that world, don't we? We're bombarded all the time. Ads, you see them, opportunities to acquire something, get something, and it always promises satisfaction that this will be the best thing you ever did. I saw an ad a while back, uh, Crate and Barrel. It was a beautiful picture of this uh, sofa. And I found the uh, caption kind of odd, actually, but it said, uh, that's not tribal drums you're hearing, it's your heart. And the, and the message, I guess, was if you want a real heart moment in your life, get that sofa, you know. Saw a BMW ad, a beautiful picture of a Beamer. And the captions read, you can't buy happiness. And I, I was like, I'm down with that. But you can lease it. <laughs> we live in a world that's obsessed with things. And it's a war. It's a war for our heart. And my, my question is this. What do you love most? Who do you love most? Because the answer to that question will determine where you sacrifice in your life. Why? Well, it's a heart issue. I mean, all I'm suggesting is it's something to think about. When you examine your life, where are you sacrificing? Because that's where your heart is, and that's what you love. Love determines your focus. Love determines when you sacrifice, where you sacrifice. It's it's a heart thing. David could do nothing less then give his very best. Why? Well, because I think love was guiding him. No, it was compelling him. David loved God too much to do anything less than true sacrifice in his life. You know, I will offer the Lord my God sacrifices that cost me nothing. I won't do that. You know, sacrifice is rooted in love. You see it throughout Scripture. Abraham, he sacrificed. Why? Because he loved God. You know, David sacrificed over and over because he loved God. You know, Paul would sacrifice, in fact, give up his life because he loved God. And get this, God sacrificed his only son because he loved us. 
In fact, sacrifice is the essence of the Christian faith. Sacrifice and love, always connected, always connected. Now, every time I talk uh, on this topic, I will have someone come up afterwards, so I'm just saving you some uh, awkward moment. But they'll go, you know, hey, how, how do I know if it's a sacrifice I'm doing? I always have the same answer. Have for 30 plus years. When it's sacrifice, you will not have to ask me that question. Christ followers, love and worship and sacrifice, they're connected. And when you get the perspective that it all belongs to God, when, when you grasp that this life is fleeting, that you can't take it with you, I believe at the point you realize eternity is real, you become very passionate about God, about God's kingdom. And and when you love God above everything else, it will completely and decisively and utterly consume you in your life. In fact, you will find you can't play it safe anymore. And you will look for those opportunities to take bold steps of faith when you serve, when you share, when you witness, or whatever. You will look for those moments. And when you truly love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, well, I think sacrifice just comes naturally. Because it's from the heart. A heart that's overflowing with love and gratitude in life. In fact, I'll take it a step further. I believe sacrifice is the only option at some point. Scripture, I'm just going to close with this. This one kind of rested with me this week. The Hebrew writer writes, he says, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, you know, the gates of hell will never be able to defeat God's kingdom. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God, God is a consuming fire. It's about love about love and when you love God with everything in you he begins to consume your thoughts your actions your decisions in fact you find you can rarely go anywhere or do anything without at least that little pause of okay God here we go what's up what's new what's what's going on I'd I'd just challenge you it's a heart thing But who has your heart? Who has your heart? Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God. God, you are utterly amazing. God, I pray that um, our love for you would just be reflected in 
decisions we make, the things we say, the things we do. But God, we would be people that sacrifice, whether it be our time or our talents or our treasures. God, we would allow you to just consume us. God, that we would be pleasing with all we say and do. God, forgive us when we we get focusing on the wrong stuff. Investing in the wrong places. Losing our focus. God, may you be first in everything. God, we give you the glory. We give you the praise with all we say and do. God's people said, just remain seated. Allow, Allow this song to minister.